When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. Our show is about to begin. And now, part two of our interview with composer Vince DiCola. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this episode is part two of our exclusive interview with composer Vince DiCola. On the last episode, we learned of DiCola's rise to prominence in Hollywood as a songwriter and then a film composer. His first film score ever was for an enormous franchise, Rocky IV, directed by and starring Sylvester Stallone. And his score was a fresh, unique changeup for the Rocky franchise. But the score that DeCola did next has been one of my favorite film scores for many, many years. Long before Michael Bay's films, Transformers the Movie from 1986, the animated feature, was a mind-blowing experience for me as a kid. I remember coming home every day after elementary school to watch Transformers on TV, starting in about 1984. The Transformers, more than meets the eye. And in 1986, I learned that a movie of Transformers was going to be in theaters that summer. 
Now, I was obsessed with the toys, and I couldn't wait to see the movie with my younger cousin that August. What happened in the theater blew me away. It's hard to describe nowadays, but first of all, the rules changed in that movie. The characters, and by extension the toys that we played with, had never died in combat before, certainly not in the TV show. So the stakes were somewhat light because of this. Not so in the movie. Not only did some of our favorites die within the first 20 minutes, but before the movie was even halfway over, we, young, impressionable Transformers fans, witnessed the death of our most beloved character, the brave Autobot leader, Optimus Prime. And the production value of this animated feature was fantastic. The visuals were stunning. The voice acting, featuring Leonard Nimoy, Judd Nelson, Robert Stack, and even Orson Welles in his last performance, not to mention the regular cast of Scatman Crothers, Casey Kasem, Corey Burton, Peter Cullen, Frank Welker, Michael Bell, and more, was outstanding. Heck, even as an adult, I've seen this movie recently, and it still holds up. Transformers the movie is one heck of an animated feature. And the music is killer. Not only are there some amazing and memorable 80s rock anthems in there, a true sign of the times. You got the touch. You got the power. But there's this incredible, pulsing, rhythmic, complex, tone-setting heartbeat to the whole affair provided by Vince DiCola. For years, I had the original soundtrack album, which only had a couple of his original tracks on it. But I am just thrilled that Entrada has released the rest of DiCola's film score that wasn't on the original release. So now, on with part two of our interview, where Vince DiCola discusses his legendary film score for Transformers the movie. You must have been a kid in a candy store just going through all of those sounds and finding textures that inspired you. You know what? I, you have no idea. It really was. <laughs> it was It was keyboard heaven for me. Amazing. Amazing. Well, since we brought it up, I mean, I, we could talk about these. I want to be respectful of your time, but I have to move on to, to Transformers since we, we talked about it. Uh, obviously, this has been such a huge, huge uh, part of your career. And I know something that either is a, a, a loving thing that comes back to you or and or haunts you uh, is is the fan uh, love for Transformers, the movie, the uh, the animated feature from 1986. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, and just indulge me in a little story here. I was, I was 12. No, I was 11. Okay. Uh, and I went to the theater and of course had the toys and watched the TV show, but this was, I mean, you could tell right away that this was something different, not just in the quality, but the emotional impact of that movie, uh, right. you know, everything from the script, but I mean, but but the music was such a huge part of that. I mean, it was it was terrifying. It was l lovely. It was action packed. And you know, it starts with since we were talking about Unicron, it starts yeah. with this wonderful shot in deep space. And you know, I think one of the things that sets apart um, uh, Drago from your from your Unicron music is this sense of isolation or almost 
sorrow in kind of the, you know, the, the, it's just the, the plight of Unicron is to eat these planets and it's just kind of mindless and right, awful. Right. But then this thing takes over that's just terrifying. Well, you know what? What works, works. Um, and, and this is a great sound, and this is becoming part of the Vince Cola sound. Or how did you go from from taking those sounds from Rocky and saying, you know what? I'm using this again for, for Unicron and the opening of Transformers the movie. There's a, there's a, there's a big story, and I'll, I'll try to condense it. Um, the way Transformers came about was the producers of the movie came to me as a result of hearing Rocky IV. And there they, it is. You know, kudos to them for, I mean, this was a whole different style of movie, but they heard this style of music that they thought could be applied to this kind of movie, this genre of movie, this animated thing. But what they had to for me to write to was storyboards. And the funny part about that is when they when they first met with me and they told me that this was what I was going to have to write to, and they said, well, of course, you're used to writing to storyboards, right? And I said, yes. Well, I had never written to a storyboard in my life. And, and, <laughs> Fake it till you and make I, it. And, and honestly, after going through it, I hope to never again have to do that. Um, it, it, was, it was brutal in that, you know, writing music to, to drawings, um, very, very difficult, very difficult. And, and I, I really didn't feel the connection from what I was writing to to what I was seeing on paper, I, it was hard for me to make that connection. Whereas in Rocky, you know, pretty much they gave me finished picture to to score to with my temp music there, and it was a it was much easier to to proceed from that point on Rocky. But in Transformers, when they gave me these 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 storyboards, and they also only gave me six weeks, by the way, to to write seventy minutes of music, record it, and mix it. And hand it in, and and that was a, I ba- I barely had time to think, you know, or breathe. I mean, I had to go so quickly, and that's kind of a good thing because I didn't have a chance to stop and say, "Hey, am I doing this right or not?" I just had to get it done. It was instinct. You were going on instinct and and using total instinct. Yeah, yeah. Total instinct. And uh, one thing that was in my favor is that the producers asked. Up front, if I could, if I could create a piece of music as a demo of what, you know, they told me a little bit about the storyline. Now, keep in mind, I knew nothing about the Transformers franchise when I came into this. Not, I didn't know anything about a TV series. I didn't know anything about a toy line. Uh, it was completely unfamiliar to me. And when they told me there was a TV series leading up to this. I said, you know what? I'm not going to listen to anything from the TV series. I don't want to be um, prejudiced one way or the other. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to have anything in my head. I want to start with a blank slate 
And they said, okay, well, can you, here's the story. And they told me the story and uh, they said, could you just create a piece of music that, that kind of encapsulates this as a demo? And I said, I said, sure. So I went into my little, my, at this time I was in my house here in, in Van Nuys and I had a studio, I have a studio behind my house. And, uh, you know, my setup had grown considerably from the, the eight track Fostec studio in my apartment. Um, I actually had a computer and, um, actually I didn't have a computer yet. I had an old, uh, Roland MC 500 sequencer, which I still have by the way. Hmm. And I was creating all my music on the sequencer and I had a room full of keyboards, uh, uh, not Casey's keyboards that came a little bit after I wrote some of the music for, for the film, he brought his stuff in to record the final versions, but I had a, I had my own set of keyboards and I went in there and I created this piece of music that had, um, you know, uh, for lack of a better description, a good guy theme, a bad guy theme, some war music, uh, uh, some battle music. And then it ended with, uh, you know, peace after the war, if you will. Uh Um, uh, and, uh, I called this piece legacy and it was about six minutes long, handed it into the producers and they said, absolutely head on this is this is this is perfect You hit the nail on the head, and we would just like you to proceed, write some music in this style. And oddly enough, I did not end up using any of that piece uh, in the actual score. But it was great to have that as a template. Um, And that helped me tremendously get through this storyboard mess. But when I wrote most of the music to the storyboards, the other component that was very important for me was my co-producer, guy named Ed Frugier. He's from Lake Charles, Louisiana. And Ed and I had gotten to know each other because we, that's a long story, but we, we had uh, done some work together in the past and we found out that we re- worked really well together. He's also a keyboard player. He's also a composer. And I asked Ed to, co- to co-produce this soundtrack with me. And what was great about that is because I didn't have the time to go into the um, editing stage. Uh, I could only be in the studio creating the music and Ed's job 
was to take my music that I created to these storyboards and cut up because, you know, now the scenes were st finally starting to be done. And a lot of them ended up being totally different from the storyboards and timing. Uh, some things were cut out completely. Some things were added. And Ed's job was to take the music that I wrote to the storyboards and apply it to the picture and make the cuts as musical as possible. And that in itself was almost as important as the composition process. And I could not have done it without Ed's help. Absolutely. And he was the, he actually ended up being the music editor, even though he wasn't credited as that. He assisted the music editor and he made most of the cuts. Um, and, but, but here's the funny thing, and I don't mean to belabor the point here, but when, when the movie was done and the score was finished and I got on the mixing stage to see it and hear it for the first time, I really felt a disconnect between my music and what was going on on the screen. I did not care for it that much. I did not care for the fact that they mixed it so low under the sound effects and dialogue mm. and and I really, uh, you know, especially when the movie came out and it was in and out of the theaters in, I think, a week, maybe two weeks. After that, I kind of dismissed it out of hand. In my, not as like, okay, I did a job and collected my money. I mean, I really gave it 150% while I was doing it. But after it was done, I wasn't really happy with the results. I was happy with my music, but I didn't, I, I didn't appreciate how it was cut to their scenes and I kind of just dismissed it, um, you know, out of my head and, and went on to the next project. It wasn't until 11 years later when I was invited to my first BotCon, my first Transformers convention, I had no idea in the interim that this movie had, you know, come to this, this cult status. I had no idea mm. that it turned into this, this fan uh, cult classic. I had no idea that my score, my music was, was appreciated as much as it was. And it, to this day, it, it just, it's surreal to me. It blows me away that this music that I had written, uh, and didn't think was actually right for the movie ended up being a fan favorite. And, 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 and I still get such great response to it. And that's just like kind of the irony of the whole project for me. It's like, who would have thought that 11 years after the movie came out, I would discover that not only did this movie um, become a cult favorite, but my music was still appreciated even all that time after the, the movie came out. So I, I just wanted to make that point. It was just it's very surreal to me. That is surreal. And, and, and I have a question for you that may be impossible to answer. And I certainly, you know, have what I think are, you know, my, my reasoning for it, but I'm way more interested, as I'm sure our listeners are, <laughs> into what you think is the reason for why the music resonates with people. Are you able to have any perspective on, you know, what, what is it that you think that you captured there um, that, that people responded to so strongly? What have you heard? Well, you know, and I can only go by what the fans tell me. And, and honestly, I've been in situations watching the movie with fans. They know the music even better than I do. And it's amazing. They know every line of the movie before it comes out. You know, I mean, it's it's just something to sit in a, in a room full of of Transformers fans and watching that movie. It's 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 almost scary how how clued in to it they are. <laughs> um, and and it, it is great, of course. I mean, you know, it's a wonderful thing to see 
these these people that could be plugged into a lot worse things than than uh, a toy franchise and a movie franchise like this. And and they are so rabid about it. It just it amazes me. Every convention I've been to, the, they, the fans have been just amazing. And what they tell me is that that theme of um you know good triumphing triumphing over evil and um almost the themes carrying over from rocky and i think that's why the producers liked the music that i did for rocky and thought that it was applicable to transformers uh good versus evil you know it was basically the same themes in a whole different context and you know the one scene that everybody singles singles out uh, as being as hit, hitting them emotionally more than any can other. I, can thing I guess? Is, can I guess? Sure. The, the death of Optimus Prime. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean that was a big moment, and and every time I perform that live, uh, especially if there's video behind me, as there was last year, yeah, the people are crying in the audience. I mean, and and not just kids. We're talking about the you know uh, the kids who have grown up. And 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 remember this movie from their childhood, and that scene hits them to this day, you know, just complete emotion. Uh, and and I don't know, I don't know how, having not really connected with the characters when I first wrote this music, I think I just lucked into knowing what was right for the for the for the characters and knowing what was right. To, to encapsulate and capture the emotion of that scene and, and other scenes. for a brief intermission. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We return now to the soundtrack show. As far as Unicron, you know, it was just this, this giant planet. It was just dark. It was, I knew it was going to be uh, another machine sounding uh, cue, um, uh, mechanical, uh, industrial 
uh, you know, it, it and then that was the connection between Drago and and uh, Unicron for me. Uh, the death of Optimus Prime. Well, I knew this was a a big moment in this movie, even though I wasn't, you know, emotionally connected to the characters because I didn't know anything about uh, the franchise before I started writing the music for this movie. I did know enough that this was a, this was going to be a major hit to the fans with this death scene. Well, and you this, had done the death of Apollo Creed. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to catch everybody off guard. It's going to hit them right in the heart. And knowing that, I guess I was able to draw on enough emotion to create the right music for that scene. And every time I perform that that piece of music uh, in concert, it, it just has the same effect. In fact, my wife, who, uh, you know, she she was never clued into the franchise at all. And when I performed last year at um, uh, an event called MAGFest, uh, Music and Games Festival, in January of last year, and I played Death of, of Optimus Prime, my wife Beth told me after the concert, she even cried watching it on the screen behind me. And, and you know, it, it just draws that kind of emotion out of people that aren't even familiar with the, the, the storyline in the franchise. So, yeah, I, I just lucked out with that. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to, to capture that for the fans and that it helps it helps the longevity of the movie for the fans. I'm really lucky with that. Yeah, it speaks to, you know, your your skill as a filmmaker and being emotionally in touch with what they were trying to do. I mean, there's there's a lot about that movie to love, the script, the the animation and, and the music and it's it's such a great package and I, and I, you know, I can speak from my experience that and I wanted to offer this and see what you thought, which is that I just never heard anything that sounded like that before. And and uh, part of it is that I I, I you know I had the soundtrack, and yeah. on the original soundtrack it's mostly filled with songs, and I, and we can talk about songs in a bit. But you had the Death of Optimus Prime on there. You also had the huge battle sequence on there, and 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 some of the songs that you had written, and it just struck me as so you know the movie is so visually unique, but it just was so sonically unique, yeah, uh, as well. And and you know the story that you told, I think it's in the liner <laughs> notes of the. Sorry, pl- I want to plug your CDs here. You have a couple of great Entrada CD releases of mm. uh, Transformers the Movie and Rocky IV that uh, anyone listening can go to Entrada, look up Entrada CDs, I-N-T-R-A-D-A, and uh, pe- check out these soundtracks. But you told a story about seeing Emerson, Lake, and Palmer and being like, that's what I want to do. And 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 in discussing your love of progressive rock and music of the 70s, and forgive the pun, synthesizing that and making it your own sound— Right. brought that sound to kids like me. I mean, I'd never heard Yes, except for Owner of a Lonely Heart on MTV. I'd never heard ELP. I'd never heard Rush or or anything right. going on in the 70s. Right. And now suddenly it was being set against the biggest toy franchise of my life at that time. You yeah. know, and, and there was just something about that that just, I, I you know, it set me down a musical path. And I know I'm not alone in this. Uh, I have friends, you know, we actually double featured Rocky IV and Transformers a movie specifically because you wrote the scores for both. Um, oh, cool. Because they're, they're, they're just such a, it's just such a a moment uh, in time. And it's ironic to me that that something inspired by the 70s is so quintessential 80s now. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it almost doesn't make sense, but but yet... Sometimes those those op- opposing elements, um, when you put them together, they 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 form their own animal, so to speak. And again, I was very fortunate, and and I, I mean, I like to think that I was somewhat intelligent and smart in taking that 
that progressive rock style and applying it to movie music. And, you know, it's done more than you think. It, it, you know, Hans Zimmer and uh, there's a lot of, 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 of uh, big film composers that have their history in progressive rock. Hans is one of them. Right. And, and you usually, you basically use an orchestra as your big synthesizer. I mean, that's really what, what progressive rock was is. And in, in fact, in the instance of transformers versus Rocky, at least I had, you know, I had orchestra to work with in, in, uh, uh Rocky with transformers. I basically didn't have the budget for an orchestra. I had to make the orchestra with synthesizers. Mm. So the synthesizers really came to the forefront with transformers much more than even in Rocky. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Keith Emerson has this signature sound or had this signature sound that was this big synth, uh, brass fanfare synthesizer sound. It was unlike anything. Uh, y y the only other instance where you might be familiar with it, and it's really not uh, as cool as, as what Keith Emerson did with it, is uh, Van Halen's song Jump. Right. You know, there's a, that synth sound is a is a very 80s signature brass synthesizer sound. Emerson took that, you know, even in the 70s before it was, it became uh, in vogue in the 80s, he had this big, massive brass sound. And that's what I took and applied to both Rocky Four and Transformers. That was sort of the centerpiece of both of those scores. And when you think about it, it just makes sense. It's a big brass sound, and it lends itself to orchestral music and film music. And uh, again, the rock elements, you know, the drums have to be up front, and they have to be big. And they, you know, I remember at the time, Phil Collins was real big at the time. Um, right. And his drum sound was real popular. That gated that's, drum that's sound, what we yeah. went through. That's what we went for in Rocky Four. We wanted the Phil Collins drum sound to be up and present in the mix. We wanted all the synths to sound big and fat, and we wanted the orchestra to support that. And when it came time to do Transformers... We actually, it was kind of nice that we didn't have orchestra to get in the way of the synthesizers, and we had to use the synthesizers as an orchestra. That's the best way I can put it. That's amazing. Uh, did, now, did being a film composer, having done now Rocky IV and now being the composer on Transformers, did it change your approach to songwriting at all? And uh, as a follow-up question, do you have any favorite songwriting moments from Transformers? Um Let's see. You know, writing songs obviously is different than writing score. And I've always loved the, 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 the songs that made the most sense to me in, in movies were the songs where the composer was involved in writing them. Mm. Um, I, I tend to feel a disconnect when they bring, you know, like for instance, in Rocky, let's face it, that was a, that was an opportunity to, to, to bring hit songs into a soundtrack. And, uh, not that those songs were not right for the movie, but um, I just I love composing songs that fit in with the score that I write. So in the instance of Rocky Four, Hearts on Fire was musically kind of a continuation of the score stylistically, mm -hmm. but it had a vocal melody and it had a hook to it and it had a memorable uh, chorus to it. 
that you could repeat over and over and not get sick of it. And that's the difference writing songs versus writing score. In the instance of Transformers, it was the song Dare. Same thing. It was a, a, uh, an extension of my score style. And, and in both cases, I had the luxury of having great vocalists to sing both of those songs and, and really sell those songs when they sang them. And Was that Stan you, Bush that, that did... Uh, who, who was the vocalist on Dare again? Was that Stan okay, Bush? Dare was a guy named Stan Bush. Yeah, Stan did, Bush, right, yep. Also did The Touch, um, the big song from the, from the Transformers, the movie. Um, and, and people sometimes mix it up. They think that I had something to do with the touch and I didn't, that was all Stan's song. And sometimes they think Stan wrote dare and he didn't, uh, he, he sang on it, but I wrote the song with a friend of mine named Scott Shelley, but it's okay if people get it mixed up. Stan and I always, you know, we correct everybody and, and we're, we're friends. So it's not like we take offense to any of that stuff. Right. Um, and in the instance of, uh, hearts on fire, that was John Cafferty that sang the lead vocal on hearts on fire and Rocky four. So, you know, if, if I can go back to your question, they, they are totally separate and it didn't really change, uh, my writing again, goes back to my, uh, progressive rock, uh, upbringing, if you will, um, and influence it. The thing that's hard for me, the thing that was hard when I first got into songwriting, and this was in staying alive where it really was a, uh, a great workshop for me. I had come from writing these progressive rock pieces of music that were, you know, 10 minutes long, 15 minutes long. Um, and groups like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and yes, they had vocals, but their songs were long form. They were, they, like I said, they combined the genres of rock and classical and jazz and their songs would feature vocals and great vocal melodies and great lyrics and everything, but they were interspersed with these great instrumental statements. And, the challenge for me when staying alive came about was, okay, Vince, you don't have 10 minutes. You don't have eight minutes. You have three minutes to make a statement here. And most of it has to be vocal. It's, you know, some of it, yes, you, you, you're able to stick some instrumental stuff in there, but now you got to concentrate on, on melodies. You got to concentrate on accessibility. Um, you, you can't write over the heads of your audience. You have to write to the audience and, and, um, you know, get the emotion out of them without, uh, I, I used to call it being too hip for the room. You don't want to be too hip for the room. You don't want to go over the heads 
of the people that are going to be listening to your music. You want to appeal to them. You don't want to dumb it down for them, but you, 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 it's a fine line. It's a, it's really a, a, a fine line to ride between simplicity and not getting too complex that you lose your audience. So that was the big challenge for me is progressive rock involves complexity. And I had to pare that down and I had to, um, sort of, get rid of that in my mind and, and apply it to a three minute format. So I still write progressive rock songs. In fact, you know, I have, uh, a, a new piece of music that's, that's coming out within the next, I'm going to say safely the next year or two, because it's, it's a huge undertaking. It's a 55 minute piece of music and it is one piece of music. It's got several movements in it. It's got a lot of vocals, but it's interspersed with instrumental statements not a lot of solos, but a lot of instrumental statements. And, you know, that's still my favorite format to write in. But if I'm handed an opportunity like, okay, you have a movie like Transformers, you have a slot for a song, and it's got to be a song that reaches that audience. And it, and it cannot be longer than three or four minutes long. And it's got to have a hook. It's got to have a lyric that's hooky. It's got to have a melody that people can repeat and not get tired of. Um, I kind of like being forced into those limitations, uh, but my preference, and it's not very commercial these days, but my preference still is to write in the long form progressive rock genre. The soundtrack show will continue in a moment. We return now to the soundtrack show. The melodies that you write, mm. um, I, I'm curious to know if you've ever written a melody that you feel like is is really far out because I you know one of the things I love about Transformers the movie is the melodies don't pull any punches. I mean, there's some really complex stuff. I think about the da 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 and all that sort of chromatic walking and yeah. interval leaps and stuff. That was a good choice, by the way, to pick that. It, it, it's one of the weirdest. It's one of the weirdest melodies in the whole movie. Oh, it's but it's so memorable, you know. And as a kid, I knew it, and you know, it's it's not like you you'd think of it like a hummable tune, like a pop tune. Yet it's right. it's stuck in my head. Have you ever written something where you're like, you know, I, I need to pull that back? Or do you find that film score and those musical passages that you mentioned in the in the in the music that you're writing now yeah. is is the right space for that? And that you can you can really push when you're writing instrumentally in a way that you can't push when you're writing, you know, sort of vocally or in a, in a I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, in a pop with a pop sensibility. Well, of course, in pop, you can't push the envelope. But in film, that's the thing I love about film, um, film music. Uh, that is the, 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 the format to push the envelope. And I love when composers throw curveballs in the melodies. I love that. They, 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 they take chances. Um, 
I can hear, especially in movie trailers, you can hear a similarity from one to the other where there's almost like a, a factory format. And, okay, you can't do this. You have to do that. You have to be um, – you have to do a certain type of melody. And I can almost sit in a theater and tell you what chord is going to come next in these in these trailers. Right. They're, they're so similar to each other. So that when I see a movie like um, – I mean for for – Lack of a uh, another uh, example that comes to mind, um, the Born Identity. Okay, that was a guy named John Powell. Mm-hmm. This guy came along and turned action music on its head, and I've never heard anything like that before. And and I love. And he is another rock guy. He he he's a very or- orchestral composer, but he has great rock sensibility. And his his um, melodies push the envelope. Mm. Um, even more so to me, I mean, I love John Williams and I love Jerry Goldsmith and I love all those guys. Uh, but sometimes it's hard to tell one of their scores from another. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Hans Zimmer used to, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, bad mouth Hans Zimmer. He's an amazing composer. Uh, But I will say this, for a while, he's, his scores, it was hard to tell one from the other. Back in the days of Pearl Harbor and Pirates of the Caribbean, I could not distinguish one score from the next. But then he got into Inception, oh, um, yes. uh, the Batman stuff. The, the uh, I love what he did for uh, – what's the science fiction thing that just came out last uh, – Inter- um, Interstellar or no? No, the big series that was a it was a hit a long time ago. Not Tron, but what was the? Um, oh, I'm sorry, I can't think of it. it. It was a big science fiction series that Hans scored that Vangelis had scored originally. Oh, Blade I, and, Runner, Blade Runner, Blade Runner. Thank you. Yes, Hans really pushed the envelope on that sonically, melodically, um, and I loved that. And and. It was such a refreshing thing. And, and like for the last Batman movie that he did, the third one in the series, The Dark Knight Rises, he used the whole orchestra like a percussion section. Now, who would right. think to do that? You know, um, that's the kind of stuff that pushes the envelope for me. That's the kind of stuff that excites me. And have I ever written anything that I wanted to pull back? Uh, obviously, there are certain limitations, obviously in pop music, there are a lot of limitations, even in progressive rock, there are limitations. I have written music that you've probably never heard. Um, it, it, it is available online, but, uh, like for instance, there's one project called DPI and the name of the record is pity the rich. And that is some of the most outside melodic writing I have ever done. And it's funny because my fans are split right down the middle on that stuff. (laughs) Some of them absolutely hate it because it does go so out on the, on the melody side and the other fans absolutely love it. And they, they applaud the fact that I pushed the envelope on that. Um, there are certain formats where you can do that. Has there been instances in the, in my film writing where I've pulled back? I'm not sure in Rocky or Transformers. I mean, I really, I took some chances in both of those, especially in Transformers. And uh, more than holding back, I think I, I wanted to uh, test the limitations. Oh man, I, that's exactly what I was hoping you were going to say, because I felt like you did. I really yeah. felt like you did. And, and, um, 
And I feel like you can hear it. There's just something about, you know, you saying that you wrote that in six weeks and then putting it all together on pure instinct and just kind of making a pure musical expression or a pure snapshot of your musical expression at that point in your life. I mean, yeah. I, I just feel like it really comes through, especially, again, on on these really amazing releases that you can find now that just show your entire score. Um, I want to plug again before we wrap up here these these incredible soundtracks that you have out on Entrada that I that I just love that inspired me to reach out to you, including this Transformers the movie soundtrack on Entrada, and and actually that legacy piece that you wrote is on there. It is absolutely is, uh, which is great to hear. So you get a little sneak peek into your process and. And um, where can people find you online, or where can people find your music? Any anything that you want to plug? Um, let's see. You know, I mean, the biggest, best stuff is yet to come. Um, <laughs> it, 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 there's 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 a project coming out in a couple months called Cannonballs, and it's with a Z at the end of the word. Um, it's a band. It's a it's a rock pop band, and that's coming out in about two months. Um, on my Facebook page, I will be making announcements of, of all this stuff. And I will be also announcing where it's available because it's a record company from, um, from Germany that's putting this record out. Mm. Um, I have, there's, there's one place online called TDRS music as T is in Tom D is in David RS TDRS music.com. And that's my friend, Travis Dickerson, who has, a uh, CD store and he carries most of my products. And as far as the new stuff that's coming out, I would just suggest that people tune into my Facebook page. Um, you know, look for posts there for the things that are coming up. That's fantastic. Well, Vince, thank you so much for joining us on the soundtrack show. It's been an inspiring hour for sure. Uh, talking to you and I, I want to be respectful, of, respectful of your time and your evening, but this has just been such a treat for me and for the listeners of the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you're very, you're very observant in the, in the comments you made. And, and I'm, I appreciate that in a, in an interview and, um, you know, thank you for paying so close attention to my music. I appreciate that more than, you know, Oh, of course. Well, you know, the audience is listening and, uh, and, and, you know, the inspiration that you've given for many years is, is equally appreciated. And of course, actually <laughs> more so, yeah. uh, very inspiring. Thanks Vince. Well, thank you. I just want to say, uh, you know, give a big shout out to my fans once again for hanging in there with me all these years. And, uh, you know, I'm going to just keep trying to make some good music and keep people aware of it. I can't wait to hear more. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.